From the nation's capital, this is The Screen Lately Show on Choice FM UK. Screen Lately Show on Choice FM UK is brought to you by Clean Home Decor. Get your home looking sharp at clean with a double E, homedecor.com. Emmanuel and Claire Annie Masigre with you on Choice FM UK. Good afternoon, everybody, and thanks for listening. From our studios in central London, this is the Screen Lately Show. Two hours of movie talk, TV talk, and music inspired by the movies. Thursday afternoons from four. We're broadcasting online at choiceofm.uk, on Mixcloud, and on Twitch. We're also streaming at bohemianuphoria.com and screenlately.com. Remember to hit subscribe on YouTube for all the latest clips and highlights from the Screen Lately show. You can also follow us on Twitter at screenlately. This is the show where black lives matter, not just on screen, but off screen as well. Coming up between now and six o'clock, Hollywood royalty is in the house once again. Last week, we had Morgan Freeman, of course. And this week, we have Ray Pryor, writer, director, actress, priestess, and daughter of the legend that is Richard Pryor. She'll be talking to us about her father and what life is like being related to someone who for many was simply an icon, the godfather of comedy. She'll also talk about her latest project, which she's been pitching at the Cannes Film Festival. Also joining us is Samuel Amper from the accountancy firm Alliots. He's here to talk about why he chose accountancy over law 
and how his passion for numbers, technology and the movies led to him becoming part of the furniture at London-based Alix, one of the top film and TV accountants in the UK. We also have actress, writer and TV presenter Verona Rose joining us on the show to talk about how she coped with the pandemic and her busy year so far, working on Top Boy on Netflix and Secret Crush on ITV2. All that, plus the Bohemian Euphoria film of the week and some classic music inspired by the movies. 07548 806 927 is the WhatsApp number where you can live chat with us in the studio. That's 07548 806 927. Email us news at screenlately.com or you can send us a tweet right now at screenlately. All that to come between now and six here on Choice FM UK.
now on this hour, I'm talking to the indefatigable, you know, unmistakable, beautiful, talented, extremely humble Miss Rain Pryor. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Known and loved you for just shy of a decade. It's been eight years since you came and joined us in London. Yeah. And um, it's just lovely to have you on the show. So thank you for having me. It's lovely to be in partnership with you guys. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I know that you recently went on a trip to Nigeria. I did a, a sacred journey. But if you could just glean, you know, share a bit of your experience. Is that the first time in the motherland? It was my very first time in the motherland. Wow, okay. And my dad had gone several decades prior and had a very profound experience. And I went very open-minded because I wasn't sure what kind of experience I was going to have. But I went um, to do research and, and to gain more knowledge for a series that we're creating. And um, in that process really found a very significant spiritual base and experience happened for me. Um, being there that I think I can relate back to my dad, Richard Pryor, when he went back in, in the 70s. Um, there's something as a Black American that's very significant stepping into the motherland and nobody's looking around them for police officers or what they're doing. It's like a completely different um, experience and vibe that I really took to heart and kind of still am holding with me that I wish every black person in America could experience that because I could never doubt who I am by that, you know, being there, stepping on the land going, oh, this is where we, came from before the transatlantic slave trade and how important that is also to get back to our indigenous roots of who we are and what we once believed. hundred so, percent. Yeah. Wow. And I, I love what you said because it is so true. Imagine um, a day, you know, just a life where you're not conscious of your divine birthright of being a person of color, like, or being right. black. And I think us in the diaspora, we're so conscious of our blackness in a way that's, you know, very um, victimizing and, um, Absolutely. you know, negative. And, you know, you go outside and you're like, damn, am I going to be, am I going to experience any of those days? Right. <laughs> passive-aggressive nonsense is that right, so right. entrenched in sort of Western diasporic life. But when yes. you go back home, there's just like a calm because that's not going to be the drama today. Today is going to be hustling and haggling with the local people at the moment. Right, exactly. You know, exactly. put a little change in someone's pocket and you know they need that change. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Cool. And that's like, the difference. It was, fine. yeah, it was, it was palatable. It was, mm. it was life affirming. It was, it was beyond any black consciousness that happened in the seventies in America, the sixties and seventies. It's wow. so different. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's profound. Amazing, amazing. And obviously, without saying too much about um, the project, which is yes. leaving, um, you know, 
how do you feel that now that you've kind of really connected that you'll be carrying you know your sort of Africanness into your projects going forward well you know I'm I'm excited about it. I'm very moved about it. I have a different perspective that I think I would not have had had I not gone to the motherland. Um, And it sparks so many different avenues of creation and ways to tell these authentic, real stories about um, Black experience, so to speak, you know, Um, that I'm I'm excited about for the future and for everyone around me because it's it's a journey that we all can go on and we all can relate to any type of when you have a hero's journey, we all relate to that. We all want to be a hero in some way, you know, and so this allowed allows allowed me and allows me to tell stories more authentically about those experiences. Lovely. And just for the record, without giving so much away, without giving so much away, just for the record, um, are you basically saying that Richard Pryor is Nigerian? Well, he is because I have. (laughs) I have 26% Nigerian blood. But that's what I wanted to get to. Yeah. So you did and your I'm, DNA. Because this is actually a big thing right now in the sense that I feel like post-pandemic, a lot more people are asking, like, who am I? Yeah. My purpose. You know, after being locked up, locked down, locked away in that sense, I think... A I'm, lot 34, of- I'm 34%, 34.6% sub-Saharan African and I'm 21.6% Nigerian and 30, 30.5% West African. So I'm doing a little, you know, Niger right? bomb. <laughs> I know. So they, at least they were able to do that. But what's interesting, like, I don't know which, which tribe, which lineage I'm That's from. That's right. Like, and that makes sense. My dad's That's not here not to here. be able to do that. Yeah. But I'm excited. When you have that personal connection, you feel like, oh, I can definitely authentically tell the story because I'm a part of that line. Yes. I'm a part of who I'm speaking about. And yes. so that's, you know, when you talk about, you know, any type of, especially if you're going to talk about African spiritualism in, in, a, in the context of the, how we view it in America, mm-hmm. you know, um, which is different. It's a way of life for me. So um, it's going to inform that. And also because then I have a right full connection to the stories I'm trying to tell. Fantastic. And Rain, lately you've been doing some bouts of directing for theatre. Yes. Talk to me about that experience. You know, I have, I have, well, I have a list of like, you know, shows I've directed over the years. I ran a theatre in Baltimore, Maryland for um, a year before my own solo show took off and then went to, you know, New York off Broadway. And I'm directing um, you know, a piece about um, Katori Halls called Hoodoo Love, about um, um, hoodoo and mixed in with love in a relationship during the 1930s. And so it's really exciting, again, to be able to tell our stories, but also as a director to have somewhat of a lived experience with um, concepts outside of the normal Judeo-Christian belief. Mm-hmm. And, and how that impacts us. Um, and directing for me is a great way to show these 
pictures of what, like you take what's in your mind and you get to create this picture on stage that people can feel they can touch and smell and, and taste in a way. And it's, it, that's exciting always, you know, and, and also for uh, uh, theater resources unlimited in New York, you know, I've been asked to redirect a, a piece for a short film. And so that's really exciting that that's, you know, working with a wonderful Broadway actress, Daryl and Jay, to do that and some great technical crew to make this, you know, um, a very um, exciting, authentic piece about a Black woman who's going through um, infertility. Mm. Oh. timely yeah. as, as yeah. ever but I think things like that like women's issues yes colorism you know yeah. all different things I love I'm loving that it's finding its way into either film or definitely yes. theater. it's so nice that these things are now sort of like not taboo and we can yeah not at all to actually educate whilst entertain obviously absolutely do you find that there's like a different um energy when you're doing theater from film or do you find that you bring your same sort of head to I, I, you know i bring the same sort of preparedness and mm -hmm. um enthusiasm excitement all of it um to to each thing because to me i'm just creating pictures you know one might be more proscenium and the other one you can add a more three-dimensional layer to it you know and and one you're setting up a scene list and the other one you're setting up your shot list you know wow. so it all kind yeah. of to me similar works very well but i'm also i think because of my theater experience allows me to be more of a, a actor's director as opposed to a director that directs actors Sure. You know, uh, I can relate to what the actor might be experiencing in that moment and have a little more, I think, empathy to how to convey what it is I need and want from them better in that situation to me, you know. Yeah, no, makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> and also um, just thinking back to the film that we showed at Buff, uh, That Daughter's Crazy. How do you think you've grown as a performer, but also as an individual since that title? You know, so much, well, first of all, that was so many years ago. And when you think about, you know, I'm, a, I'm an older woman, I, I'm at a different place in, in my life, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, mm -hmm. you know. So looking back, it, it, it's something that, you know, I think, at some point I may want to re-explore, reopen. Maybe like a that daughter's crazy too, or maybe too, that right, exactly. Oh yeah, or that date daughter's woke. You know, like woke exactly. and crazy. It's almost like there's a fine line, right. isn't there? Like, because yeah. sometimes you I think it's like the seal song, you know, sometimes you have to get a little crazy, right? You actually lift the lid off and yeah. get to the truth. You know, yeah, because right. that's what that's what it takes. You know, we all yeah. have to uncover, discard, and and go through a process. Mm. You know, even my story from then has changed. So, you know, and and performed it many times um, in a different way with an actual director this time. You know, so there is there's a difference from what we saw from that daughter's crazy to you know the fried chicken and latkes that that was and now and now it's kind of sits somewhere pretty on a shelf because I'm in a new, you know, a new creation. I'm birthing a new child with, mm. you know, this series. So it's exciting. 
No, it is definitely exciting. So talk to me about your process in the sense of approaching Buff Studios, Buff Originals to get on board. Why, why did you feel compelled to reach out to us? You know, what? why I felt compelled to reach out to you and Emmanuel is because I felt a connection when we first met. I felt an authenticity in who you are and how you both um, present yourselves, your interests. And I felt safe to share it with you. I felt safe to show you um, an idea, a first draft of, you know, what I was thinking I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And I was right. My intuition, you know, I rely a lot on that. And so my intuition was correct in that because you both came aboard and have been nothing but I've learned so much. So it's like, I feel like that's the thing. It's a very give and take relationship. We learn and we're growing with each other and we're exploring and creating. And in that, you know, learning more about the business of show business and selling projects and making things happen and, you know, budgets and all that. It's so exciting. And as a as a team, I think we all work very well because we all recognize our skill sets and we bring them to the table, but we never diminish each other's capabilities. And you can't find that everywhere. So mm-hmm. there's no other choice for me than buff films, you know, to work together. Yeah, no, no, no. It's been a, it's been a, <laughs> and you know, I don't have to say that because you're my friends. I know, and I'm right here, like, Rain, you better. <laughs> No, but you know, it's so easy because it's truth, you know, that's what's exciting about it. No, I feel really humbled and honored to be the exec producer on your your show. And, you know, it sat in my entry um, for like a month or so, only because, you know, you kind of get on your trajectory of like, right, new year, new me, 2020, I'm working on this, I'm working on that. And then, you know, you came along um, during Christmas and it was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm going to have a look at it. But I remember like reading like, the first four pages and I was like, oh my God, what is this? There's something like, here, right? There's something here. And I think it was the big rat running across. No, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to be on you forever about this big rat. But um, no, it was just, it was just. It's so Baltimore. That's why it's so funny. <laughs> we need to give him more her a name. But um, it was just the whole setup. And again, I'm not going to go into it. I so want to talk about it, but right, obviously right. there's a divine time to talk about this project. Yes, yes. Um, but we can allude to it. And obviously, you know, this is the reason why we are on this kind of journey to Cannes and yeah. uh, the Cannes Film Festival. Have you been to Cannes before? You know, I haven't. So wow. this this was my first time. Yeah. No, so I, I'm really enjoying, you know, I'm at a place in my life where I'm really enjoying taking the journey. I don't have a lot of expectations anymore. I just kind of show up and go, I know where I'm supposed to be. And that's the place I'm supposed to be. So, you know, let's do it. (laughs) And you've got, you're actually the mother of a teenager who's a budding artist herself. What is it like watching somebody's art come to life? You know, I love the process of creation. You know, and as a woman, um, our whole sense of being is about creation and bringing things into life and watching it to completion. And so watching, you know, my daughter become this budding artist and getting into a prestigious art school in Baltimore, Maryland is 
a joy. Yeah, it's a yeah. joy. And that's where she'll start her high school year doing what she loves to do. Because I really feel when we raise people up to learn all that they can learn about something they're passionate about, they'll be able to succeed and it will align them very well with their, you know, destiny. So mm -hmm. I'm excited for that. As, and as a parent, it's, it's wonderful. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rain Pryor, thank you so much for joining us on the Screen Lately show. Thank um, you so much. You're welcome. Um, as a ritual, we ask, and it might you might not have something that comes to mind, but what is your favorite um, soundtrack from a movie? My favorite soundtrack from a movie. Gosh, I that's so funny. I don't have a favorite soundtrack, but because I don't know the name of it, but um, and that's so funny. I'll, of course, as you ask me, then my mind goes out. So I don't want to say the color purple, but that is one of them. But um, <laughs> oh no, that's okay. We can find a track. No, no, no. It's out. so funny, Claire, that you would ask that because. And, and that's what I hate, that I don't remember the name of the film, but it's a recent film, okay. Black film, that's in the Old West. So that soundtrack mm. blew my mind. It oh, was nice. perfect, the way the music wove into the scenes. It didn't distract, even though it was contemporary, it didn't distract nice. from the visual. It added to the visual, and oh. so I was hooked. Like, it just, yeah. Don't worry. Don't worry if you can't remember. Sorry, I can't. I will darling, how dare you come to an interview? So much fun. I know we are crazy. Um, just lots of love to you. Thank you for your time tonight. Really generous of you. Always. Generous of you to ask me, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> love you. I left my home in Norfolk, Virginia, California on my mind. Australia, that greyhound road, a mineral, and all grown for Caroline. Stop and shout at the bypass, drive in whenever was a minute late. No, it was 90 miles out of Milan, about sundown, rolling on a George Day. I had more the trouble to turn into a struggle halfway across Alabama. And that hound broke down and left us all standing in downtown Birmingham.
online on Mixcloud and on Twitch. From the nation's capital, this is Choice FM UK. Beyonce there with At Last on Choice FM UK. And before that, you heard Promised Land by Mos Def. One of two other tracks we found out from Rain Prior Off Air. The other one, funnily enough, was The Harder They Fall by Kofi, which we played on the show last week. That last track that you heard was part of the soundtrack for Cadillac Records, a movie co-starring Beyonce as Etta James, and Mos Def as Chuck Berry. The cast also included English actor Amy Walker and Golden Globe winner Jeffrey Wright. Beyonce is also credited as a co-executive producer on the movie, which was released in December 2008. One month prior to release, Beyonce performed at last at the inauguration ball of Barack Obama, 
as he and wife Michelle danced together for the first time as president and first lady. Beyonce recorded five songs for the soundtrack. Most Def, Jeffrey Wright, Columbus Shorts, and Eamon Walker recorded songs for the soundtrack. And Raphael Sadiq, Beyonce's sister Solange, Mary Mary, Nas, Buddy Guy, and Elvis Presley also appear on the album, as it were. Our thanks to Wayne Pryor for joining us today on the Screen Lately Show, a woman who we have a lot of time for, as you've heard there, and more than that, a credit to her father. Still ahead, we'll be chatting with Verona Rose as she takes time out from her busy schedule to join us on the programme. Time now, though, for this. The Bohemia Euphoria Film of the Week on Choice FM UK. Amplifying the voices and stories of underrepresented people through film. I got up to the door, got in, got my keys. I looked back over my shoulder and he was looking down at his phone and I went in the house. I was in the relative safety of my own home. You know, when Claude was a few feet away being victimized. My friend could have died that day. He could not be here. He could literally not be here. I always knew Claude was gonna go on and do great and wonderful things. He, he was bright, articulate. He was an athlete. He was popular. He was a smart guy. We had high expectations of each other. You kind of push each other toward the light, so to speak. I had a certain comfort that he was gonna be okay and that a lot of the crazy stuff that happens wasn't gonna happen to him. Most black families know if you have the ability, you gotta get your sons out of here. Milwaukee preys upon young black men. There are very few that grow up in this environment and become successful. In a segregated city, they do everything to limit a sector of society from opportunity. We're a bunch of individuals going after scraps on a daily basis, and our kids are the result of it. That kid is a result of it. I like to think our lives mean more than that. Out on VOD next Monday, the 30th of May, when Claude Got Shot is an unscripted feature which follows five years in the life of Claude Motley as he tries to recover mentally and physically from being shot in the face by carjacker Nathan King, a 15-year-old boy at the time. Diverted from his legal career, Claude must persist through multiple surgeries, catastrophic healthcare bills, and stress on his family while remaining engaged in a criminal justice journey determining his shooter's fate. Torn between punishment and the injustice of mass incarceration of young black men, Claude reflects on his own life and its similarity to Nathan's. As he struggles to heal mentally and physically, he ultimately discovers that the path to recovery leads to forgiveness. Executive produced by Sneak Dog, When Claude Got Shot is part of the wide range of curated films and documentaries, which you can find at bohemiaeuphoria.com. Register today and search for hundreds of titles, including No Dog, a short film based on the critically acclaimed autobiography, The Lost Boys, a dark side of graffiti by Justin Rollins. 
directed by Darius Narosian. The film is told through the eyes of a young Justin Rollins and sheds light on the squandered youth of a few boys from late 1990s South London. We journey with them as they surround themselves with urban chaos, graffiti, racism, train tracks, violence, and the need for respect. Warriors! Warriors! Oh, that prick, 706, jack my little brother. Oh, what are you looking at, sweet boy? Yes, Joel, what's happening? He's mugging you up. We own this. Hurry up and sort it out, or you're getting it as well. Like I said, bro, I'm willing to go down that path. Bohemia Euphoria Film of the Week on Choice FM UK. Amplifying the voices and stories of underrepresented people through film. So I ain't holding nothing back And once again I got five on the 20 sack It's like that and as a matter of fact Cause I never hesitate to put a food on this back Yeah, so keep out the manuscript You see that it's a must we drop gangsta Hold up, what's my name? To the wild, creeping and crawling, Yiggy yes and Snoop Doggy Dog in the house with the pound like every day. And I'm right back up in you with Dr. Dre. And like I said, none of y'all can get with this. And none of y'all can get with that. And I just dropped, cause you know it don't stop. Mr. 187 on the undercover cop. Tick tock, never the clock, just some nuts in the cop. Rob you for your ears, then I kill you black clocks. And I step through the fog and I creep through the small. Cause I'm Snoop Doggy, Doggy, Doggy. Hands up in 
way up in the air And wave them all around like you just don't care Yeah, roll up the dank and pull the drink And watch your step Cause doggies on the gang My bank rolls on swole I'm still on hit legit Now I'm on parole Stroke With the dog pound right behind me And rolling with my That's where you might find me Flinging that, flinging that G thing She wrote the G with the biggest sack And who's that? He is I and I am him, slim with the tilted brim. What's your name, So joining me on the Screen Lately show is Samuel Amper. Now, what we like to do on this show is to introduce to you people who are making waves in the film and TV business. And Samuel Amper is someone that you should get to know, not just today, but going forward, someone who you should really get to know. Now, I'm not just saying this because he's joining me on Zoom right now or that he's even giving me a backhander to do it because obviously we pick a lot of people up on this show and um but anyway I digress but yeah the reason why we're talking to Sam today is to talk about his career about why he chose accountancy which is not an exciting job at the best of times but obviously as Sam will explain to us it has its perks it has its benefits and it has its advantages especially in a business like the movies. Samuel, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me, Emmanuel. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. So tell us, uh, was accountancy always the thing for you or was there another vocation or passion that you wanted to get into? Um, I wouldn't say accountancy was always the thing for me at all. Like, really, it it, it happened by chance. I will say a lot of things um, contributed to me becoming... Come, become an accountant and trained to be an accountant. So originally I went to university to do history and politics. Um, and that history has always been love of man and I love politics. So I always try and keep up with it and so things like that with the aim of becoming a lawyer. So that was always my dad's dream um, that I, I'll become a, a, a big city lawyer. Um, <laughs> But um, so I did. I think m- m- most most Africans course, wanted their children to be lawyers because I come from a family of lawyers, um, famous lawyers actually in Nigeria. So how oh, I didn't quite 
end up there. The thing is, there's another side of my family that are in film and TV. So okay. for those that are thinking Animo Sigwe and are Nigerian, yes, I'm related to Peace Animo Sigwe, who founded the African Movie Academy Awards. Oh, really? We are the same lineage, literally. And um, her brother, Charles, uh, was one of the first presenters of children's television on the state broadcaster in Nigeria back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, yeah, NTA. Yeah. So that's how far the lineage goes back yeah, into yeah, the film. You've got a good line of film in your, in your life then. That's, uh, that's <laughs> it is, so no pressure. But I, the thing yeah. is, I, I've always loved film and television from the time I watched Tales of the Unexpected at the age of four. And mommy and daddy would kind of beat me with a whip. Why are you watching programs like that? Why are you not reading books? <laughs> why, why are you not studying? <laughs> the thing is, I, I did read. I did read. I didn't read books. I, I read newspapers. I read the Economist and Financial Times. I was told at the age of mm-hmm. four. Oh, so really? already that kind of creative and that kind of instinct for business has been there from an early age. Yeah, but, yeah, fair play. Yeah. You know, but law, I mean, obviously, as you know, law in film is kind of priceless in terms yeah, of... Yeah, so, it's a bit, so that's, that's... I think there's a number of different factors within film that is what's outside the creative, which is very important. And law is really a big one. You need to make sure your contracts are in order or... You know, you can really get into trouble and you, you can see see it happen. People try and cut costs and accountancy fees and lawyer fees are the two places where they think, oh, wait, maybe we can cut costs and boil it into the screen. But, you know, it's a dangerous game to go down that side of it. Um, but, yeah, it was it was always going to be, well, supposed to be law, but since I started, I realised it wasn't for me. Um, and then, what's it, so I finished the GDL and it was all about what's the next step. Um, and I managed to get internship with Elliot's, so the firm I'm at now. And it was mainly doing sort of like AML, so anti-money laundering work and stuff like that. So sort of legal, but not really. Um, and what's GDL order- for our audience? So what was- oh, it's a gradu- graduate diploma in law. So it's like a conversion course that people who didn't necessarily study law do in order to go on to do the LPC. So the aim was to do the GDL, finish that, then either do the LPC or something, or become like, I forgot what the bar, the barrister version is, the bar or something like that. That Those were the two routes where I thought, when I was at university, I was thought I'd probably go down. Um, I hated law. I can't describe to you how much I, I, I <laughs> reading all those contracts. And it, it wasn't for me. Quite early, I realised it wasn't for me. But I finished the GDL. Um, and then I went on to get my internship at Elliott's doing the AML work. And it was really, at the end of the internship, there was a choice. It was either, they said, if I, they wanted me to stay, but the only way I could stay is if I trained to be an accountant. And at that time, it was a bit like, I didn't really know what to do. So if someone's offering you an opportunity to train you and to sort of like pay for your education and you've got a steady career, you know, for me, it was, it was a no-brainer at the time. And that's where I am now, yeah. eight years down the line. Wow. <laughs> Wow. So not even uh, these TV shows that kind of glamorise law, that didn't convince you? I mean, do you watch, do you watch any Suits. of that stuff? So Suits, I thought my life was going to be like Suits. So <laughs> I started watching Suits before I went to, before I started the GDL, thinking, yeah, I'm going to be just like it, you know, give to the gab, have a great time at court. I went to one court, like, court sessions on immigration, and it was so depressing. <laughs> and you know me, Emmanuel. I'm a, I'm a guy who, you know, 
I like to smile. I like I like things quite happy. Yeah. So I was just like, this can't be for me. Um, so no, suits is a lie. And it doesn't actually turn out like that. So that's where it was. <laughs> Yikes. Because yeah. for me, one of my favourite programmes is Law and Order. Oh, and just the whole Law and Order franchise. I'll, I'll give you an actual fun fact. Me and the creator of Law and Order, a guy called Dick Wolf, share the same birthday, 25th December. Okay. Yeah, it's meant to be. You need to get it's in contact. It's meant to be, isn't it? It's meant to be. <laughs> I can yeah. see you and Claire doing the episode. <laughs> yeah. I know Claire's thought about um, going into law as well. I mean, as you know, Claire is a woman of many talents, so there's nothing that she won't put her mind to. Um, so, Claire, if you want to do law as well. It's a great... It, I'm not going to knock it. And lawyers make good money. They work for their money, but they make good money. And it is a great role to go down but I think like any career like it has to be for you and you need to have like a sort of passion for it and it just really wasn't there for law for me it really and I think it came at a weird time in my life because I just lost my dad so and he's the one who pushed me into it so it was a bit like well I've got an opportunity to maybe do something for myself now and so I chose the first person who um, <laughs> he offered me a job <laughs> And how have Alex embraced you uh, as a company? Talk to us about the people that work there and the culture, yeah. etc. I, I I love Alex and I really can't, it's weird. I, I don't think I'd be an accountant if it wasn't for Alex. And uh, that's the honest truth of it all. They've always been really good to me. Um, the people there, the partners there, they've always been very supportive of me. And that's why I'll say I'm, I'm here today is, there, is the people at Alex, especially you know, people in my team, people I work with, the partners and stuff like that, they've all been really, really good to me. So I, I owe them a lot in that respect. Um, and they're giving, me, they're giving me the path, you know what I mean? When you know how it is, you know, sometimes it's quite difficult to really see a path for yourself, especially in, where in this world where there's so much you can do, but there's at the same time so little you can do, you feel like you can do. But giving me, putting me into the media team, allowing me to sort of be quite in, innovative and quite like creative in the way I approach things has really given me an opportunity and probably why I'm here today and stuff like that to say so I, I would look to them so I've got a, a lot of time for Elliot's a lot of time for them. And what tangible results have you seen uh, given that you've like you said you've been given that environment to be mm. creative and innovative in in the eight years that you've been with Elliot's what kind of results success stories have you seen and are able to actually share? Because I'm sure a lot of your clients are private, but in yeah, the main, what, what has kind of transpired as a result of your ability to be innovative and so flexible, I guess, as yeah, an accountant? Because yeah. accountants are rarely flexible. Yeah, yeah. the numbers, <laughs> isn't it? So the thing is, I think, I think I'll use the media industry because I think that's, that's really where where we are, what, what I'm doing at this moment in time and spending a lot of my time. So we've always done a lot of film, TV and stuff like that. And one of our partners, Ian Gibbons, has always been very heavy involved in, in, in media. So maybe five, six years ago, they decided to go a bit more sector um, focused. So there's certain, we've got 12, we've got about 12 different sectors. Um, and what's it called again? They put me into media. And since then, you've seen there's been a massive boom within the industry in terms of 
people like inward investment in terms of like Netflix setting up here, you know, the amount of new streaming sites, Sky, things like that, they've really taken off. And being able to be part of that team has allowed me to, I think in a way, bring people who maybe not have, like I like to specialise in sort of emerging talents, diverse different stories and things like that. And the firm has really allowed me to really take that by the horns and really help people as well as do my job. And that for me is really important. I think that being able to know that this isn't just, we're going to target a certain group of people. They've really allowed me to, you know, work with different people, people who maybe won't necessarily have known the firm or the firm would have known about. You know, I've been able to go and I've done a number of different talks with people in Scotland. You know, I've done talks with, you know, um, all around the UK. And to an extent, that's what, you know, how we met to an extent. So I've been able to bring you, make, let you meet the partners, meet the team and stuff like that. Things remind, like remind me how we met because I've got baby brain now. Um, remind me how we met because it's so... How we met is a bit odd. So um, <laughs> I, I messaged. So I I messaged you on LinkedIn because I saw the British Urban Film Festival. Right. So I saw that what you're doing there, and you know things like that is really what I, I aspire to sort of help and add value where I can. So I messaged you on LinkedIn and said, yeah, introduce myself, and you're kind enough to reply. And then since then, maybe that was probably about four years ago. You know, it's been a while. Yes, it has. Yes, it's been a yeah. while. So since then, we've been able to sort of help each other where we can um, and really develop a relationship. And that's the sort of I say success Alice allows me to do. You know, other law firms maybe a bit more not law firms, accountancy firms maybe a little bit more tight with who you're talking to, not necessarily, um, and the person, like, for example, I'm not a partner. So they're giving me sort of attributes that normally just partners would do. Right. I need to go out and go and do them. And, you know, that's a real confidence piece because, you know, I'm someone who's very ambitious. So I hope to one day be up there and I'm gaining the skills to allow me to be successful in that role at a very young age. And that that's that's great. I was going to say, so the end goal is to be a partner at Alitz, presumably. Yeah, I'd love to. I hope they'll one day, you know, I'll have the, <laughs> the skills. not easy. Um, so, you know, obviously, hopefully one day I'll have the opportunity to. Um, and that'll be nice. That'll be really nice. Um, but, you know, there's always other avenues, you know. I'm really, I'm grateful to Alitz. But, you know, if anything ever came, the situation where I had to go off and do something, it'll always be a part of my life. You know, it'll always be the reason why whatever I go on to do, I've done. But, you know, the end goal will hopefully be Elliot's, but the world's a funny place and life is a funny place. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. It's, always, it's in constant flux, as, yeah, as you know. Yeah, yeah. But going back to what you said about Bath and the British Urban Film Festival, which mm-hmm. obviously I founded what, 17 years ago now, yeah. and you talk about diversity and diverse clients, so how how vast would you say is your network in, in relation to clients, filmmakers, um, above the line talent, et cetera, et cetera? How, how vast is that? And how, how are you able to cultivate that kind of network of potential clients and just kind of generally just to find out what's happening on the scene in, here in the UK? I think, so I, I, I like to think that it is quite vast. Um, I've been doing it for a while, trying to meet people in the right places, be in the right organisations, talk to the right people. 
Um, right now, most of our clients are still production companies. So a lot of the people who I work with are either producing a film, wanting to produce a film, or they're moving along those lines. So that's a lot of my time is getting taken up in terms of working with producers, filmmakers, stuff like that. We don't have many, we don't really act for many actors because that's more sort of personal tax and stuff like that. But we do have some directors. Um, we've got some sort of people who do sort of music for films. So we've got a lot of our work is in those fields. So it's mainly like company-based people. Um, so that's what we've done there. How I say diversity is, is it, it's, it's probably better than other accountancy firms. But it's still, we still got a long way to go along with the industry. The industry's got a long way to go in terms of making it really diverse and to a point where you don't even think that, you know what I mean? It's so diverse that you don't really even question it. Do you know what I mean? That's where we need to get to. And I think, Alice, we're doing our best to get there. There's a lot of ways in which we're trying to attract sort of emerging talent, diverse talent, talent and get them onto our books quite early and really guide them. Because, you know, the... The financial side of film isn't easy to understand and it's not like any other sort of industry in the terms of how you raise money, where and how things like you make profit, like little things like profit and stuff like that. It's not like a like a manufacturing company might just have a cost plus or, you know, you know, it's very complicated. So it's really about education and that's what we're trying to do is make sure the education is there at a very early stage in people's careers to a point where, you know, they don't even think about it when they're, they're 10, 20 years into it. They, it's, all, it's all in plan. They've met their goals. They're able to really, you know, what's, I think the word is like, sort of have wealth in terms of their careers and the money that they've got. So that's what I think we need to do. That's our overall game. That's my overall aim is to get people quite young, early in their careers and really push them to a point where, you know, they're really making the money that they want. And it's not just about having the film on a big screen just the once, you know, it's multiple. We need to keep them going, keep them coming up with ideas. And that's what we're dealing with. I mean, it's, it's like they say in the adage, it's not about the destination. It's actually the journey that's always sweet. Um, and obviously with what you're talking about and the education, in your view, I guess in the eight, time, in the eight years you've been at Alliance and just kind of in general, um, for want of a better phrase, how 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 educated are the UK's kind of filmmakers in terms of producers and people that are trying to venture into that space? How up are we on the film business and the business of film? Um, I don't. I think we. I think it needs to be done better. I think the UK have, have we got this? We got the UK tax credit. I think like before you even start thinking of like producing a film, you should know about the tax credit. And too many producers, I think, don't know enough about the tax credit and the, the way in which you can help produce a film. You know, I'm getting people who have made, probably made shorts, gone onto features, and you mentioned tax credit and like, oh, what's that? You know, that's that's not good. That's We need to be better in that respect because it's so good. It's probably one of the best in the world, the UK tax credit. And it's the reason why the UK is doing so well at this moment in time. So how, how me, important is the tax credit to people that are not aware of it and kind of listening? I think it's, a, it's probably the, one of the most important parts of financing film. I think if you're not thinking about the tax credit when you're, when you're 
coming up with your schedule, when you're trying to think of your idea, you're not really doing it properly. Um, and I'm not even just talking about just focusing on the UK tax credit. I'm talking about other areas that can have tax credits. So yes, say, for example, you want to shoot in a sunny beach-like area, you know, and that's part of the script. You should be thinking, okay, which tax credits can I use in order to finance this? You know, because the more tax credits you use, they're not all as easy as the UK to access, but you can access them. The more tax credits you use, the less money you've got to raise. You know, so that's less risk for an investor if you know, okay, I'm going to use maybe Malta's tax credit. I might, I need some sort of landscape like Ireland. So I'll, I'll try and see if I can shoot in Ireland. Like little things like that is really important to getting your film eventually made. And actually what it also does is it shows investors that you know what you're talking about. You know, you're not just here to ask for 20 million and they're like, how am I going to get this 20 million back? And you're just like, uh, well, I don't know. The tax credit could be a way in which, you know, they can recoup some money, you know. So it's really important that things like that are taught at a very, very young age, um, young, early stage of people's careers. Um, and just and how, how easy is it to, to raise tax credits? Do you raise it at the start? Because I'm sure people listening to this uh, probably got their pens and papers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So. Um, no, so tax credit in the UK is done on spend. So when you start shooting your film so there's I'll t- I'll, let me go back a step so let's say you've got a script you've got a budget you've got a schedule and you know i mean maybe you've got some some actors that you, you you're going to bring in roles so what happens here yeah, they, they're uk based what happens then is then you do a bfi application and the bfi application is a 32 point application but you only need 18 points and, and it's split into four sections. Section A looks at really, it, what is, is it an English film in terms of, is it in the language English? Are the characters English? Not English, sorry, British. Yeah, cultural test, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, British and EEA. So it looks like things like that. Section B will look at the way in which sort of you're promoting diversity within, how you're showing British diversity, British culture and stuff like that. If you then, you know, you get your points in A, A, you can get all 18 points in A, so you can stop there. But then some people, it's not always possible. So that's when you're going to B, C and D. C and D looks at where you're doing. So C in particular looks at where you're doing things like your post-production and stuff like that. So if you're doing that in the UK, you can get points there, stuff like that. And then D looks at who's a director. Are they British? The actors, are they British? And stuff like that. So once you've done that, then hopefully you get the 18 points, you get your, then you can get something called the interim certificate or final certificate. The interim certificate is when you haven't finished the film. So you can then apply basically through a company, all of this is through a company and it has to be the company that is producing the film. You, when you do your accounts, you can then apply for like a rebate on the cost that you spent. And that is, the easiest way I say is about it's 20% of core expenditure. But the, the actual calculation is like 80% of 100%. But it comes down to 20, the best way to sort of budget for it is to say 20% of UK cost. That's the easiest way to do it. Um, and then you can get that back in the rebate. And that's actually physical cash. That's cash that comes in, that will come into your bank or come as a check. If you're in a fortunate position of making profit, 
then it will reduce your corporation tax to a point where you probably won't even pay any. You know, so things like that is really, really important. You know, these these are ways in which you can get money into your company. And I, I think we, uh, we just need to know better about it and put a deeper conversation with your accountant or whoever to really understand it before you go flying out there and try and produce a film. Now, m- m- there's so many things we can talk about here. Mm. And I know this is a two-hour show. We've got other guests to come on. But yeah. there's so many questions I just want to get off. Like, uh, so, for example... When you hear the word accountant, you get paid, you get charged by the hour. So it's like mm-hmm. most people decide to become accountants themselves. What would you what would you advise with regards to getting a good accountant? I think getting a good accountant is really I'm just talking about the media and TV, like yes. media industry and stuff like that. I think it's really important to get a specialist accountant in that industry because, like I said to you, it's it's not it's not like any other industry in the way in which it works. Yeah, obviously there's some similarities, but it's very different at the same time. So it's really important you get a specialist, an accountancy firm, and you get in as early as possible because then they'll allow, they can guide you in certain areas that, you know, if you're a film producer, you're not necessarily the best with numbers or you're not necessarily very business-minded. So a good accountant, and as well a good lawyer, can allow you to concentrate on what you do best, which is the creative side, without you worrying about, oh my God, do I need to start paying VAT? When do I start? When do I get VAT registered? No, a good accountant will tell you that. Um, it'll, tell, it'll explain what a tax credit is at a very early stage. So you can fax that in to when you're doing producing or making your script or uh, coming up with your schedule, do looking at locations. So it's really important you get a specialist in early and it is a cost, you know I mean? What, what isn't, but a good account will add value. And that's, that can be the difference between you making a film and your film failing. Yeah. yeah. Now there there was a time when, when you have tax credits in film, you think of SEIS, EIS. Mm. And I know obviously I've been, in the industry quite a while and I know a lot of filmmakers that were able to tap into that mm-hmm. was like a license to print money and obviously the pandemic hit then you had the coronavirus scheme which affected the whole industry at large mm-hmm. talk to me about how significant the SEIS and EIS scheme was for filmmakers and producers and since the pandemic what has kind of what have been the kind of the impacts of yeah. those schemes and the fact that SES and EIS is not quite as uh, useful um, for filmmakers or producers right now? Well, the change in SES and, and EIS happened a bit before the pandemic. Um, Why was that, incidentally? So the thing with SES and EIS is that the main... It, it, it's, it's big, but I'll, I'll give you two quite generally, is that HMRC didn't see that investing in sort of a script. Let's say you open up a, a production company and you just want to make one film. That's not risky enough. There's no longevity in the scheme. And the, the scheme is there for, you know, to put longevity into businesses. People invest in your company with a view that 
10 years time, then they can realise their investment. It's a little bit more complicated than that. And I won't, I won't go into too much detail because probably bore your listeners and <laughs> it's just, but that's the general, it wasn't risky enough. It's not gone away, but what it wants producers and filmmakers to be thinking is more long-term. It's not only about the script in front of you or the five scripts in front of you. It's about now building a real sustainable business. You know, it's about uh, if you're building, if you have got a film production company, what, what's your long-term aim? Do you want to bring editors in-house? Do you, do you want to bring writers in-house? Do you want to hire people? Do you want to build an office? It's not about the, the script itself. It's about the business. And that's, and it's actually a mindset I think filmmakers in general need to realise and sort of move towards more. There's a guy here I heard, and I forget his name, something Ferrari, he mentioned, he says, film entrepreneur. And that's what filmmakers need to be. They need to be film entrepreneurs. This is not just about the script in front of you. You're trying to build a sustainable business that hopefully that in retirement, you know, you can retire with. And there's too many filmmakers that only think about, and, it, and there's probably reasons for it. They only think about the script that they're, they're making or they're only thinking about trying to get this certain thing off, on, off the road. And it's, that's not really what business is about. Business is about sustainability. Business is about, you know, making long-term profits. And especially if you get investors involved, these people want to realise it, but they want to make their money back. Even though the SEIS scheme, EIS scheme gives them sort of tax breaks that they can mitigate against any losses or if the company fails, it's not the point. They're not here to, H1C aren't just out here trying to give people money or give them tax breaks. They want, they want to bring business into the UK. They want entrepreneurs and small businesses to thrive. And that's what the problem was with film industry initially and SES and EIS. This wasn't risky enough. It wasn't long-term thinking enough. But there's a lot of filmmakers, and we're seeing one or two now getting it. You know, well, we've got a couple of clients who are who have got their advanced assurance because they're thinking more long-term, they're thinking more business-like. And that's the industry in itself needs to move towards that. Obviously once you raise this money, it's, it's quite a small percentage that HMRC will allow you to then put into making the film because the, ma- the majority of it needs to be into a business, your business, rather than just into like producing a film. But there is a percentage that you can then move from your investment into making a film. But it's just it just needs to be more long-term thinking than the way in which people were um, using it, basically. So I'm fascinated to know about these clients, obviously without going into too much mm-hmm. detail, how are they able to think long-term post-pandemic when everything is so volatile? But this is the best, it is volatile, but that's why the SES scheme and ES scheme is there, you know. It is because a small business, you know, is it, the percentage of failures is quite high. That's why they want to give people who invest in these businesses some sort of tax break, just because it's such a risky game. Um, but the film industry and the TV industry and stuff like that, this technically there's been no better time to be in this industry. Do you know? And, we, and we've seen that when in pandemic, the industry's been very robust with yeah, streaming. It was one of the first to, to start back up. You know, they had the, the restart scheme and stuff like that. And you know, the TV, it really that the pandemic done wonders for 
this industry because people are at home. People wanted content. People got a first for it. You know, I know Netflix's subscriptions have dropped recently. Um, but, you know, they were very, very high. <laughs> you know, everyone was signed up to Netflix. So there was an opportunity there for filmmakers and stuff like that. Though it's not easy because, you know, the independent market's been squeezed a bit. You know, there's less, because of the changes in the EIS scheme and SAS scheme, there's less people wanting to put their personal funds into, you know, these um, into these companies. But there is an opportunity there if you manage to get an investor or you manage to get, you know, someone like Netflix who will, Netflix, Sky, Amazon, Apple, who will put money into your film, you know, that's a really good thing. And there is that opportunity. And these people, these streamers, um, commissioners, they really need content. You know, you look at Netflix, they're putting the new things every day. They've got to get that from somewhere. So why can't it be you? Um, and as we start to wrap this up, because I'm conscious that we could yeah, go yeah, on forever. We've not even talked about cans yet. But yeah, talk yeah, to yeah. me about Netflix. What's your take on the kind of the drama, pardon the pun, or pun intended, should I say, that's yeah, going on at Netflix with regards to their projections and how it's all kind of planning out at the moment, planning out yeah. at the moment. So my thing with Netflix is that there's a couple of things with it. I think one of the main things is that uh, one, they're like, if you look at their sort of like showcase films, you know, they're big, they're big films. They spend a lot of money on these films. They spend a lot of money. And I personally believe that they can save money in certain areas. And those areas could be in the amount of money that they're spending on certain productions. So my thing is, if you look at, it doesn't, to make a good film doesn't take a, a crazy, you don't need to spend... 150 million to make a good film you know if you look at things like cold out that is it was on um apple that's right yeah. i heard the budget was 10 million that won an oscar you know not all obviously this the script lends to the budget you know you can't make a marvel movie with 10 million yeah you know what i mean it, it just doesn't work like that but you can save costs in in things like you do, like The Irishman, I heard cost over 100 million. It was a great film, it was a good film, but, you know... Yeah, The Harder They Fall was touching those figures as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet again, really good film. I'm not going to knock Netflix. I actually think Netflix have really upped their game in terms of the films that they produce and the quality of these films and how great they, how entertaining they are. I think in recent years, they've really upped their game. But, you know, when when your balance sheet isn't looking so good, you've got to cost cut cost somewhere and like I said the value of a script isn't necessarily in the budget but in the story and I think Netflix will go down that route um also a lot of people won't might like me here like me saying this but you know it's too easy to share your Netflix with other people you know it, in a way <laughs> it's the and I'm saying nothing funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I talk a lot, but I'm not going to say that. It's too easy. And that costs a lot of money, you know. They're losing a lot of money by the fact that I would love to see the numbers of people who actually don't pay for Netflix but got Netflix. You know, so things like that, it doesn't help. They'll figure it out. They'll figure it out because Netflix, you know, companies like Netflix, you you would like to think they're too big to fail if in, a, in a way. Um, and actually, they're an important part of our, um, our society now. You know, if we lost Netflix, God, I don't know what, what I'll do most evenings. 
So, you know, it, they, 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 they'll be okay, but they just need to figure a way in which they can then get people to pay for their product. A bit like the way in which I think Spotify have done really well. They started getting a lot more people who actually pay for the product. And then also maybe look at how they can bring the, the cost of some of these, their flagship films down a bit. Yes, a bit. It doesn't need to be like this now. Well, the argument is obviously Netflix were kind of one of the first ones to go all in on original content. Obviously, mm-hmm. when they were starting out, they had content libraries from all the other legacy broadcasters who have now woken up, I guess, and they've created their own streamers, mm-hmm. taking their own content back. And then what you're left with is every streamer, each to their own, really, kind of putting yeah. out their own stuff. And obviously, with the legacy broadcasters, that word legacy is a key because mm-hmm. with legacy comes that audience from before. And the fact that, say with Bel Air, for example, which was one of the biggest hits on Peacock. Yeah, 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 yeah. Obviously, that came from the legacy of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, yeah, which was on free to wear on NBC in, in the 90s. And obviously, that was yeah. the uh, launch pad for a certain Will Smith. So, you yeah, know, I agree. it's that legacy that's kind of allowed this. Uh, current version of Bel Air to be successful on a streamer like Peacock, which could have been on Netflix if it wasn't for the fact that all the legacy broadcasters woke up to kind of the model that Netflix invented. They definitely have, you know, you look at Disney, Disney, for example, they just, they took everything. They're like, all right, well, (laughs) you're doing really well. We're going to do our own thing and we're going to do well. So there is that. But people like news... Disney's interesting as well because like Amazon... Um, the streaming is not the be-all and the end-all because they've yeah. got the theme parks, they've got the cartoons, they've got this, that, and the third, as my wife Apple would say. That's her favourite well, phrase. You know, Apple TV, you know. Apple, the, the, the yes. stream isn't, isn't their, their, their only source of income. So how did um, Netflix counter that? Because at one point, Netflix were going to buy cinemas and theatres, which I, I think would be the perfect strategy. But they never ended up doing that for whatever reason. And now they're thinking of bringing ads onto Netflix and people are kind of thinking, isn't this what cable was like with HBO, et cetera? It's like, yeah, but then, you know, the more things the change, the more things stay the same, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But then if, if you're not willing to pay for Netflix, but you want Netflix, you should, you, you have to watch the ads, you know, that's just, that's just the game. And then maybe that will encourage more people to then be like, you know what? can't be dealing with this washing machine advert. Let me just pay for Netflix, you know? But there's also a bigger story in terms of, there's a lot of streaming sites and people can't afford them all. And this is, this is a personal issue for me, is if you see my, my, uh, my, what's it called again? My bills, my monthly bills, it goes mortgage, TV, like, you know, like, you know, <laughs> I spend a lot of money on it and it's oh, it's not sustainable for a lot of people. So there needs to be a way in which, I haven't got an answer for this and I have been thinking about it, but there needs to be a way in which they can all just come together. It's a bit like how cable used to be, you know, because it's just not sustainable and that's, and that's what the issue Netflix are facing now. We're going through a crisis right now. You know, people haven't got the money that they used to have. You know, the world's opened up again, you know, so people haven't got the um, the surplus funds that they used to have that they can then put into paying for a subscription. So, but people still want to watch TV. So why 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 not ads? I don't think people will, will be that. People watch YouTube 
and not everyone pays for YouTube Premier or whatever. I don't know if it's called that, but you know the YouTube subscription site. The original, yeah. Watch yeah. it. So I, I don't think that's a terrible idea. You know, the cinemas. I think I'm not sure. I don't know how much people are willing. I think people who love cinema love cinema. They, they will go out there and they'll go and watch a film in cinema. But I question how much a younger audience really still got the love for cinema that I guess we had when we were growing up. So just finally, let's talk about Cannes yeah, yeah, because cool. that whole kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I've had a brain freeze. So basically what you're talking about with cinema, you know, kind of the romantics, kind of love cinema because you can't get an atmosphere on a streamer. Mm-hmm. So you can't you can't beat that, and obviously with Netflix and Cannes Film Festival, there was a lot of kerfuffle a couple of years ago with regards to what is the definition of theatrical, and it really got brutal at one point where they weren't allowing Netflix to show films at the Cannes Film Festival. And yeah, yeah. um, what does Cannes mean to you? Cannes is a Cannes is a Cannes is probably one of the most important periods of the year for me it really is i'm not even talking about going out to watch films or anything like that because actually i don't think i've been able to really watch a film every time i've gone to can you know <laughs> it's it, but for business it's really really important for the firm and for the industry i think it's one of the only real examples in which you can get everyone in one place you know you know how hard it is to like get a meeting with someone, you know, everyone's busy, but everyone goes to Cannes. And then that's a real opportunity to either go out there to sell a film or to get distribution or find a financial, find a producer, like find a producer, director, stuff like that. It's, it's one time when I think, especially Europe, we're all in one. Actually, I, I, I'd say that it's disjustice to America because a lot of Americans go out there as well and Indians. And, you know, there's a lot of people. And, it's so important and it's it's a really important factor. That's why the last two years have been, I think, so difficult in terms of the industry because we haven't, can hasn't been in person. That's why I think this year is very, very big. So on that note, um, look forward to catching up with definitely, you. Definitely, definitely. Uh, post cans and everything and... Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. No Thank you for having me, Manuel. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate I'm it. I'm glad we were able to cut it down because we could have taken over the whole show. And like I said, we've got other guests. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. It's an exciting time. I know, I know, I know. But it's great to hear your personal story and kind of your Thank take you. on the film business. And I'm sure people that have been listening have been able to take your counsel. Um, we didn't yeah, even talk yeah. about your trustee stuff. But yeah, we didn't talk about my youth. We'll get you back. We'll get you back on the show. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank, It'll be all thanks about for joining us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Cheers, Emmanuel. Thanks nice for having us. Cheers. Email the show news at screenlately.com. Tweet at screenlately. Text us in the studio on WhatsApp 07548 806 927. The Screen Lately Show on Choice FM UK.
made films about things that mean something, and they can actually help to move things forward. Do you believe? Thanks for bringing up the terrifying potential of this film. You can't tell me that I don't belong. You can't tell me that I don't belong. different. There's such value in being different that I think you should embrace it. Online, on Mixcloud and on Twitch. From the nation's capital, this is Choice FM UK. Joining me now on the Screen Lately Show is a good friend of ours, actually, Miss um, Verona Rose. Hello there. Hi, hi, thank you for having me. No problem, no problem. I know you're very much in demand, so we're very grateful for your time here on the Screen Lately Show. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Not too bad. I was just recording the last time I met you in the flesh. It was literally December, was it last year? The it was that. It was a year, it was at the Buffer Awards, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a long time ago. Very long time ago, yeah. Oh, wow. And literally, that was, that was the last time there was kind of like a lockdown. Because literally, a couple of days before the Buffer Awards, the government made an announcement about people wearing masks in cinemas and indoor yes, venues. I remember being freaked I remember going as well and being freaked out because I was like, oh, I've got work, my mask, and everyone else, like, I, I have my mask on like a... I think at that moment, people weren't still, we weren't having to wear masks, but I had one on and people were like, why are you wearing a mask? And I'm like, oh, work. Absolutely bizarre. I mean, what, what was, on a serious level though, what, what was the pandemic like for you? I know for a lot of creatives, I guess the, the one great thing about our industry, film and television, it was extremely robust. You know, yeah. people were getting work on productions or if it was remote work, voiceover work, everyone just seemed to be busy and galvanised. But then there's the other side of it in terms of the, not the socialising, et cetera, et cetera. What was it like for you? I actually had an amazing time. I loved it. Like I'm, I'm so I think part there's two two things. Partly because I'm 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 even though I'm extrovert, I'm very introverted. So I like you know not having to mix with people and being on my own and being able to be in my own space and be creative. But also, I think I enjoyed it as well because I was very sick at the time. So. Um, it actually sparked me to start my um, wellness journey because I've got an autoimmune disease. So I was very unwell and I was forcing myself to go to things, but I was going there just, you know, almost not being myself, not feeling myself 100% because I was so ill. Um, and the good thing was that the lockdown gave me a rest because I could, before I could sleep for 12, 13 hours and wake up and feel like I've, I've had a boxing match with Mike Tyson. I've not slept for many years, but. But um, the lockdown gave me a much needed rest that I needed. And it also helped me to um, to start my new uh, wellness journey. So, so talk to me about the um, condition that you, you had. I, I, has that always been part with you or has it come recently? So I do think that um, I think that I've had it since I was a child, but I think that it got progress progressively worse as I got older and I got diagnosed um, 
nearly eight years ago. So, and now I've changed my, my wellness journey started two years ago. So, um, I, um, for two years have been feeling like my normal self again, but for six years, I felt like I was almost walking around with a, in a box. I don't know how to explain it, but like in this weird bubble where I couldn't think properly, I couldn't speak properly. I couldn't, I just wasn't myself. I had severe anxiety. I was in pain all the time. I, it was just in my hair fell out, um, which I'm still, it's still going back. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a lot, but to get diagnosed with that, you know, and, um, you know, people saying, oh, you work too hard. You work too hard. That's why you're tired. But um, my body was just slowing down. And when, the time I went to doctors, they said to me, oh, you were, you're literally on the verge of being in a coma. So it was quite lucky that I, like, they saw me when they did. I guess in, in terms of the field that you're in comedy, that, that must have provided quite a resource in terms of help and therapy and this kind of, because they say laughter is the best medicine. So I'm 100%. guessing that was, So talk to me about that then. Yeah, 100%. I mean, lockdown again, um, and just, just comedy in general, I, it, um, it, as well for, for lockdown, I mean, I, I just spent hours and hours and hours just watching and consuming and, and uh, using it as like um, research, you know, using, watching different comedy shows, stand up shows, uh, and using it as research, really. So um, it, it really did help massively. But I, I have to say, because I, I do do comedy, but I'm an actor before that. But um, I went into comedy because I wasn't booking other roles. So um, before anything else, I am an actor. <laughs> but I'm, I'm now classified as a comedy actor because that's mainly what I do. But just just to get it out there so people know, I'm, I do serious acting and lots of, you know, lots of other things as well. No, absolutely. Because obviously you were in the latest incarnation of Top Boy um, this yes. year on Netflix. Talk to me about that experience. Oh, that was just incredible, absolutely incredible, and I made I've made some really great connections with um, with the the creator of the show, Ronan Bennett, the writers, um, and I'm learning so much from them at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm learning so so much with them. It's just it's just it, it it. I mean, my role was very small, but for years I've wanted to be in that show. And I was in the very first episode of the very first Top Boy 10 years or maybe 11 years ago now. And I was a, a supporting artist. So I was a background person with no lines. And then to come full circle and to actually be speaking and having some lines in it. It's just incredible. It's, just, it's an amazing show. And it's, it's a show that I, I, with every part of my being, this might sound strange, but with every part of my being, I knew I was going to be in it. I just knew that I was going to going to be in it and I saw I saw the um the, I saw a casting for it and it was for a smaller role than I had and my agent was like oh it's a small role I don't think you should go for it and I was like please I just want to do it and they were like you know we support you always they put, and I and I thought to myself if they see me if there's another role I'm going to get it this is the universe right and um they said we're not going to offer Verona that role we're going to give her this role and it's a better role and a bigger role <laughs> It's just great, yeah. It was, it was, yeah, it was so cool. Uh, what's it like acting in Top Boy as opposed to watching it all, all, all the way back when you did? I mean, I watched it as well. What was it 2011? Oh, um, yeah, 2011. It. Yeah, yes, 11 years ago. It's, um, I mean, it's just a dream come true, isn't it? It's just, 
it's what's it like watching it compared to being it? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I watched this this series and was gripped, even in my scene when when I'm being um, when when my character Naomi is um, uh, being threatened by Curtis, who is just incredible. Howard is an amazing actor. Even watching it back, I'm like, oh, oh you know. <laughs> so just it just it's just incredible. Such an incredible thing to be a part of, and I'm so grateful and so blessed and just it's open it has already opened new doors for me um yeah which I don't think I can talk about but which is very annoying but um um yeah I just hope it continues to open doors no no problem at all it's, it's great to hear now obviously with a lot of actors there's that whole pivot into writing producing etc etc does the same apply to you and kind of how far are you going in that direction definitely so i've written some things for bbc3 before i've written sketches i've written um a uh and and been a co-producer on a bbc a bbc3 show called fully blown which was amazing um i mean i just love anything creative anyway so yeah definitely um writing is part of um what i do as well and producing i've put, put i put something together which was a comedy um called treatment which has now it, it, like and, and actually i don't know something i would never do normally but i've done a uh, gofundme crowdfund for it because i really wanted to make sure everyone was paid myself obviously i wasn't paid but you know like the camera people the the locations we used everyone that everyone that was involved i wanted to make sure everyone got paid accordingly so we put together a gofundme people were really 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 responsive and really just amazing and um, created create, created this show called Treatment. We've done a we filmed like half an hour's worth of footage. I edited thirteen minutes, and that just opened other doors. So I've been working with production companies um, such as Rangaby um, and some other production companies as well. And now the show has taken a complete different turn, but it's um, it's it's in you know it's in those stages of um, development at the moment, which is which is great. Now, obviously, all of this great stuff that you're doing is all based in TV. What about the film, the, the film industry? Any avenues opening up for you there or in the past that you can elaborate on? Well, I'm going to put it out to the universe that these these avenues are opening up. Um, I, I mean, I do hope so. Um, I, I believe it will happen as well. Um, and that that is the goal and that is the dream for me to be acting, film and TV, definitely. Um, I mean, I still love theatre as well. That's my first love. Um, but yes, guys, if you're out there and you're listening, <laughs> I can play straight characters as well. Yeah, I'm definitely up to do some film, some film. <laughs> Excellent. So talk to me about Southampton, because that's kind of where you spent most of your life. But what's the creative kind of atmosphere like, for want of a better phrase, in, in the south of England or the Garden of England sometimes? How yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question. There's so much creativity in Southampton. There's so many talented people, um, but I do feel like the, the opportunities are not there. And me, myself, the more that I my profile grows, the more that I um, make connections, I definitely want to go back to Southampton and just create and give opportunities to the people there because because you have to move out. I mean, I left home at 16 years old to go to the Brit school and moved to London on my own, you know? Um, so I was like a fish out of water, like big time, because my life was completely different in Southampton. Um, 
so the creative scene is not it's not a lot going on but there's i mean there's a, there, there are like nights and stuff that you can go to and different things you can do but um but yeah i definitely think there needs to be more opportunities because there's a lot of talent down there that's going wasted and i mean you know yeah so but you know a lot of us we all leave home don't we and go to london eventually <laughs> to, to pursue what we want to do and, and how much has your family been a part of your rise i guess from the beginnings to where you are now how, how much have they played a part in that so um so my parents allowed me to go to um because I'm, I'm one of five so my but and the three three four of us that are creative so four of us are creative um and my parents and yeah my parents they i went to um a drama school when i was younger like so i went to Hedna grady drama school when i was like maybe six seven um, then I became part of like youth theatre. They would take me to, you know, take me to wherever I needed to be. I was also like in an orchestra playing the um, clarinet and the flute. So, um, yeah, they were, they've always been very, very supportive. I know that because I, I went into teaching for a bit and I know that um, my mum loved telling people that her daughter was a teacher. Um, and then when she's like, she's a struggling actor, I'm, I'm sure that that for my mom, um, especially especially in her field, I think that she she preferred to be able to tell people, oh, my daughter's a teacher, my daughter's a teacher, you know. But now now that I'm actually breaking into the industry and I'm booking work and things like that, I think that she's she's proud of me again, which is great. <laughs> and my dad, I mean, my dad's always, you know, my dad's one of those guys, oh, you know, ask your mom, ask your mom, you know, that kind of, but my dad's always very supportive. They watch whatever I do on TV. Um, you know, as I said, would drop me to classes and things like that, pick me up and watch me do my shows and things. So, yeah. And and how are they as TV critics? Are they are they fair? Oh my gosh! Um, my dad normally just like, yeah, anyone can do that. <laughs> my dad is much more critical. Then the thing is, actually, all of my family. So if I need to know. Well, so my dad, I wouldn't ask my dad because sometimes I'm like, I'm not sure if my dad is being genuine, but I know my sister and my mum will tell me if if they don't like something that I've done, they will just be like, yep, like you looked a mess. This, like it wasn't good. So yeah, <laughs> my family are like so open and I just, you just cry. You just be like, okay, thank you. I've just booked this good, I've just booked a massive job. Yeah, well, so inside now, Jake. But yeah, they are, my family are, um, they, they, they're very honest. So they're not going to like pretend to be like, oh, yeah, you're really good. They'll just be like, nah, I wasn't very good. And, and what, what did they think of you in, in Top Boy? Because obviously that was on Netflix where literally everyone at that time that was into Top Boy was literally watching it and engaging on social media. I mean, do you, do you kind of look <laughs> at the back on social media? Are you one of those that ignores it or get your agent to oh, tell I you? Oh, I ignore it. No, I ignore anything. But I mean, I've looked at stuff before, but yeah, I'm just like, what well, you know, like I'm somebody that would never say anything to um or purposely to upset someone or make someone feel bad about themselves so if someone else does that i'm just like why they must they must either be unhappy themselves they could be going through something i just like i just would rather just be like you know what i'm not even gonna question or worry about why you're saying what you're saying because i don't know what you're what's going on in your life so that doesn't bother me but um yeah in terms of my, my family watching it my mum loved it my dad said you should have been playing a bad character it would have been better if you. <laughs> it would have been better if you had, were a bad character. Okay, Dad. Okay, but like, there wasn't a role for a bad character at the time for me. <laughs> so yeah. 
So, does your family provide an inspiration for you when you, when you start writing or coming up with ideas? How much do your family plays a part in that kind of creative thinking? Or I mean, where, where does the inspiration come mainly? Definitely. Oh my goodness. Like my family, everyone is a character. My mum's a character, my dad's a character, my granny, my siblings, every single, if I've ever written a, written a character or um, tried to do a comedy character, it's based on somebody within my family or based on an event or something that's happened within my family. So like so much inspiration comes from, from them. And they're just so funny. Like my mum is hilarious without knowing it. Like, like a lot of this stuff that I do when I do entertainment TV, I, I, I'm, I'm very silly. I won't, I won't give away too many of my things, but I'm very silly. And it, it comes from my, how my mum is. And then my dad, my dad just says the like most outrageous things ever. He, my dad needs his own TV show to be honest with you. But um, yeah, a lot of my inspiration comes from them. Well, we should watch this space for your dad because I, I can't wait to see him on TV. I'm sure he's going to be Gogglebox. You think your parents could do Gogglebox? You know, I just don't think they would do it. I mean, my my mum wanted to be an actor when she was younger, which was which is which is interesting because it wasn't until I got old she was like, oh yeah, I really want to be an actor. But um. Yeah, I mean, it, if my dad was on Google, but actually the, the show will get shut down, to be honest. My dad has zero filter. <laughs> he has no filter at all. So uh, about television, talk to me about Secret Crush on ITV and just kind of the impact of you fronting that show and what it's meant for you personally and professionally. What an absolute blessing. Like... Like that, I did an audition for that show. I got requested. So somebody contacted my agent and said, like actually what happens with a lot of the things I do now, said to my agent, we'd love for everyone to do this. We hope she's interested. We know she's busy. I'm like, guys, yes, of course I'm interested. But they say all this nice stuff. Like we know it might not be her normal thing. Um, and, uh, but it's just incredible. Like um, we're, we're filming series two now and it looks better. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be better. I look better. I've got hair and makeup, um, but it's such a great show. And it, it just hit me recently when I was talking to a friend that she said to me, you're one of the few black women in the UK that is fronting your own show. And I was like, oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. Like, you know, there's not, it, 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 you know, so yeah, it's such a blessing. I need to make sure I, I am always giving thanks and remembering, you know, because sometimes we forget where we've come from and, um, and forget the struggle and think that this has always been a thing and it hasn't, you know? And um, in terms of that particular programme, have there been any people that you fancied yourself or kind of gone in that direction? Fancied? What do you mean, fancied on the show? Yes. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I'm in a long-term relationship. <laughs> I'm in okay. a 15-year rela relationship. So, you know, we get loads of beautiful women and handsome men on there, but I don't I don't think I'm somebody that finds myself looking at people fancying them, if you know what I mean. I don't know if that's if I was I don't know if I was single if that would be different, but I'm just I just don't really I'm not like, oh I fancy a bit of that, oh fancy a bit of that. Do you know? <laughs> I just yeah, I just don't find myself really fancying. You know, I know I look at people and think, oh that person's really attractive or beautiful, but yeah, so no, I haven't really. No crushes. I mean, apart from when I was younger, you know, crushes on certain people. Rich Blackwood. <laughs> 50 Cent. Okay. Anyone else? <laughs> Anyone else? Apart from no, no. So just grow like, like when you're growing up, you know, like 50 Cent. Um, yeah. 
So, 15-year relationship, that, that's pretty good going. I mean, uh, I'm guessing at some point it's going to become down the aisle stuff or... Yeah, no, I mean, we, we, we've always been, like, my partner's very serious. We're, we're both quite, I mean, we're silly in art when we're together and stuff, but my partner's in, like, is in academia um, and is um, very, compared to me, very, very intelligent. Um, and um, it will happen, yeah, but, you know... My, don't put yourself down at that. Well. No, I shouldn't. You're very smart. You're very smart. Stop that, Verona. Yes. No. He. So no. Yeah. We will eventually, but we 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 had the thing where we wanted to focus on making sure we had a stable foundation. We had our finances under, you know, in in order. Um. And uh. You know. Yeah. So we didn't want. Uh. Yeah. That. Yeah. So we will eventually. Maybe eventually. I'm not, you know, I've, it's so strange because I went through a stage where when I was younger, I was like, I'm never getting married. I'm never going to have a partner, you know, when I was young. And then I got to an age and I was filming filming weddings. So I do a lot of videography. So I was filming and editing weddings for um for, pe- for people. That was a, a business that I had on the side. And then when I'd be editing, I'd be like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. I wish I want to do this, but just for the party. So I'm not massively bothered about getting married, but the party looks, uh, you know, I wouldn't mind a good party. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Make sure you uh, we get our invite, me and Claire. hundred percent, hundred percent. If it ever happens, it will hurt you. That guys will definitely be there. Excellent. And I to, the party. Apart from the wedding, <laughs> apart from the wedding, what have the next twelve months got in store for you? What, what have you got lined up? So, yeah, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be doing some more acting. I'm writing um, on a Netflix show, <laughs> which is amazing which I can't believe uh, it's mad. I'm like, yes, yeah, so I'm in the writer's room. The only, the only female in the writer's room with men. Um, I'm doing some more of that. We're doing more secret crush. Um, I've been asked to do a show uh, where I will be going abroad to either Sri Lanka or um, South Africa, which will be pretty incredible. Um, which is, I think the end of August, sep- yeah, August, September. Um but after that, I really don't know. And I said to myself at the beginning of this year that I'm not going to put um, pressure on myself for anything. Whatever happens, happens. I went through, you know, as I said, I was sick for a very long time. I was so unwell. And I've been in this game for so long. You know, it's not, nothing happens overnight. So for me, it's, I take my time. Um, I make sure my health is in, in order. I'm not stressing. I'm not like, I need this. Oh, please, please. Oh, where's my next job? Ah. I'm just not doing any of that. Like, you know, um, yeah, I'm not doing any of that. I'm just, what, 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 is, what is meant for me will, shall not pass me by. And, you know, I'm not going to stress for anything. I will work hard when I need to, but, um, yeah, that was one of the things this year. Because I'm, I'm someone that's always had five years from now, yeah, let me do my big, um, my, um, my oh, I forgot what you call it, you know, I brainstorm at the beginning of the year where I'm writing what I'm going to be doing here and I'm going to, what I want to achieve and I want this and I want that and blah, blah. And I mean, it always comes true. It's amazing. But I decided I'm just not going to, not going to stress. That's, that's what the next 12 months is. Stress, be stress-free, have lots of love, family, great health. Um, that, that is what's, I mean, I want to act as well, but what's important to me is, 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 is those things. Yeah. Thank you for your time today. I know you're a busy person, but really appreciate your time on the Screen Lately Show. Thanks for being with me. Thank you so much for having me. I love yourself. I love Claire. You guys are incredible. You're inspirational. 
uh, you know, like I've looked up to you guys for years. So the fact that, you know, we chat regularly or just we chat like like it's normal to just talk with each other is great. Because as I say, I've, I've looked up to both of you for a very long time. So thank you. No, thank you. See you at the wedding. See you at the wedding. <laughs> Take care. Remember to hit subscribe on YouTube for all the latest clips and highlights from the Screen Lately Show, including our interview with Morgan Freeman, Laurie McCreary and Eddie Gathegi. That's it from us for today. We'll be back with you at the same time, same place, 4 o'clock on Twitter UK next Thursday, unless you hear otherwise. Bye for now. show on Choice FM UK is brought to you by Clean Home Decor. Get your home looking sharp at clean with a double e homedecor.com.